0: I want you to take your Bibles tonight, and I want you to turn two places. First of all, I want you, if you will, to turn to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Ephesians, the sixth chapter. And here's what the Bible says. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put ye on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand. Look at that word, withstand, in this evil day. And having done all... To stand, look what it says in verse 14. Stand therefore, having your larns girded about with truth and having the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now I want you to take your Bibles, if you will, and I want you to turn with me to Psalms 143. We're going to read this entire Psalms as we get started tonight. This is the Psalmist David speaking. And he prays and he says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give Ear to my supplication. In thy faithfulness answer me. And in thy righteousness. And enter not into judgment with thy servant. For in thy sight shall no man living be justified. For the enemy hath persecuted my soul. I want you to watch that. He hath smitten my life down to the ground. He hath made me to dwell in darkness. In those that have been Long dead. Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is desolate. I remember the days of old. I meditate on thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land. Selah. Hear me speedily, O Lord. My spirit felleth. Hide not thy face from me lest I be like unto them that goeth down to the pit. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Come, cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift my soul unto thee. Deliver me, O Lord, from mine enemies. I flee unto thee to hide me. Teach me, teach me to do thy will. For thou art my God, thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. Quicken me, O Lord, for thy name's sake. For thy righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. And of thy mercy, cut off mine enemies and destroy all them that afflict my soul. For I am thy servant. Lord, uh, just come to me tonight, Lord. Quicken my mind, quicken my spirit. Lord, let me share what you've called me to share tonight as we talk about how to stand in a whirlwind. I pray, O oh God, that you will anoint me to proclaim your word tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, I did not come here to preach a sermon to you. You could get anybody in the world to come here and preach a sermon. I'm preaching something that God showed me from His word. And I want to share this with you. You see, I've been in the ministry for 50 years. I cannot tell you about the Christian casualties that I've seen along the way. There's been hundreds, and I might say in 50 years, even thousands. I deeply grieve over people when I see people start so powerfully in the Lord and they finish so abruptly and, and, and so catastrophic. You know, somebody said a long time ago, I don't care how loud you shout or how high you jump, as long as you walk straight when you hit the ground. I think that's what we need to hear again. Many years ago in the, in the town of Mobile where I was born and raised, Mobile, Alabama, uh, they, there was a, a paint coming, I think it was called Enduro. But the Enduro paint, their slogan was whatever you do, start with a good finish. If I had one thing to say to any person in this building tonight, whatever you do, start with the intention that you're going to have a good finish. Amen. Steve Farrar wrote a book called Finishing Well a number of years ago. I, 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 I personally believe it's not how you start. It's how you finish. And Paul tells us here in the book of Ephesians, he said, whatever you do, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. He said, what you need to do is stand against all the trickery of the devil. He didn't use it one time. He actually used it four times in one chapter. In chapter 6 that I just read to you. Four times emphatically he says, whatever you do, learn how to stand. Stand. What he's saying, there comes a time in the Christian experience... When when you think about it, God's done everything He can do for you. He gave you His Son. He gave you His Spirit. He gave you His Word. He emptied heaven. He gave it all to you. There, there's not a lot more that God could do. So there comes a moment, at, at, at a, at a, a, a moment strategically in your life, when God asks you in your Christian walk, He says, I'm just telling you, you have to learn how to stand. How to stand. You know, people often come to me, Brother Craig, and they want counseling. And I believe in counseling. I believe in deliverance. I believe in divine healing. I, I, I believe in instruction, biblical instruction. I believe living by biblical principles. But sometimes when people have come to me and they've explained their entire situation, I've looked at them with all sincerity and I said, you know what the Spirit of God is telling me right now about your situation? God is telling me what you must do. And they said, Please, Pastor Loper, tell us what we must do. And I've said to them, I believe God is telling you to stand. They don't like that. They don't like that because they think I should have some pastor, uh, Pastor, they, they think I should have some kind of magical wand or, or some kind of magical stick that, that I could just simply touch them and make all of their problems run away. And they would be delivered and set free instantly. And they don't like for me to tell them, you've got to stand, you've got to learn how to stand. Now there's some situations that can be directly changed by prayer. There's other situations that can be changed by personal counseling. Conversely, there's other situations that can be changed through healing. And we talked about that supernatural power of God this morning. There's some situations that can be dealt with by deliverance. There's some people that need deliverance. But there's other situations in which God requires us in our Christian life to do nothing more than simply to stand. And that's the reason the Apostle Paul, four times in chapter 6 of Ephesians, he says, whatever you do, stand therefore. Now I might say to you in the original Greek, coming out of this text. He's not talking about an anemic, weak kind of standing. No, no. If you look at the literal translation of the Scripture, it says you're to stand as a conqueror. You're to stand strong as a conqueror. It's not defeat. It's not just marking time. It's not standing at parade rest. No, he says you're to stand like a conqueror. And that's important. You, You see, when you get into a situation... When God is requiring you for the moment, you don't see a change, you don't don't see deliverance coming immediately, you don't see a miracle coming immediately, but, but you're just there in that situation, and God is requiring you to stand, what I would say to you tonight is you better know how to stand. You better know how to stand. You say, why? Because panic in the middle of a crisis can cause you to do all sorts of dumb things. You say, how do you know that? Because I've done a few of them. Where I preempted God and I got in a bad situation. I was in a whirlwind. You know, the enemy was coming at me from every direction. And I've done a lot of dumb, stupid things in the middle of a crisis. And you have too. And so then the Lord has to bring us back all the way around, sometimes months or years later, in a similar situation, until He's taught you one thing, and that is how to stand. Now, occasionally I put it this way. God fixes the fix so that He can fix you. And if you fix the fix before you're fixed, He has to fix another fix so He can fix you. And that's not real confusing, is it? You just have to follow me. I think that's just a basic principle. And in the book of Isaiah, I read where the Bible says, Rejoice, therefore, and glory in the Lord. I believe tonight. That the only person who serves God, who can truly rejoice and glory in the Lord, is the person who has learned to stand in a whirlwind. Now what does that mean when I say standing in a whirlwind? It means a person, a Christian has learned not to be dictated by their circumstances. They're not dictated by their circumstances, but rather they're being dictated to by the will of God. That... that that's really what it means to stand. You know, there's all kind of teachings going through the church today. Some people say, oh, you can just praise your way through anything. If you'll just praise, you're, you're going you're gonna to always have the victory. The answer's going to come if you'll just praise. And there is some merit to that. that that's not unscriptural. I, I believe in praise. I believe in praise is a great and wonderful and a powerful too. But I think it can be a very injurious thing. To teach people that all you have to do to praise, no matter what's going on, and you're going to come out on the other end of that situation just uh, bouncing and springing and leaping and jumping for joy. It's always going to be victorious because all you have to do is praise. I have seen people do that and they came out on the other end and, you know, it didn't happen that way. And they became disillusioned. You you know, this walk with the Lord is, is not a nursery rhyme. It doesn't always end and they lived happily ever after. You have to understand, in the ministry, you see things that happen and and things transpire and you don't even understand them. It's a little more complicated than that. And and so the Lord brought me, as I said, these are not sermons I just got from anyone, but these are truths that God spoke to me. He took me to Psalms 143 and explains how David reacted in a whirlwind. Uh, now, I enjoy praising God. I enjoy shouting and glorifying God. I, 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 I live in that afterglow moment. I, I was born and raised in Pentecost. I mean, I was in about one of the most Pentecostal churches growing up you can imagine. But there, there's a difference. Please listen to me. There's a difference between praising God and standing. I want you to hear what I'm saying. David is the very one who teaches us about praise. And yet in this instance, David says that praise was not particularly the answer to his problem. David had to learn something about standing. Now when you read Psalm 143, you instantly see that he had run headlong into principalities and powers of darkness. He was involved in spiritual warfare, and there was a a deep, complicated kind of situation. We're, we're not real sure what it was about. But he can't even hardly describe accurately what he's feeling. I mean, he's wiped out emotionally. He, he has hit the wall. And, and he's having difficulty knowing what to do. And this very one that had given us so much information about praise, now he's learning about standing. Standing. Now there's another teaching in the church today that says all you have to do is just confess positive things. If you confess sickness or failure or disappointment, all of that does is just lead supposedly to more of the same. When you hear somebody in your church say, well, let me tell you what my problem is, brother. And they start to tell you what their problem is. And that positive confessor jumps in and says, that's a negative confession. You can't do that. You're not supposed to confess bad things. And I don't like people that go around, you know, it's not good for you to do that all the time anyway. But just listen to me. You've got to learn the principle here, the spiritual principle. Sometimes good confessions and truth are two different things. I had a guy walked around one time with a cast on his leg. And for two months he told me, he said, my leg's not broken. He was a positive confessor. He kept saying, my leg's not broken. And he was walking around with that cast like this. And I'd say, well, how are you doing today? He said, well, well, I'm doing great. I said, how's that broke leg? Hold on, my leg's not broke. And I started to say, you ought to cut that cast off because it's not becoming to you. You see, sometimes truth and confession can be two different things. This walk with God, listen to me. I'm a pastor, so i got to always tell you the truth, okay? You know, I'm just telling you. This is not mind over matter. This is not some kind of uh, psychological gymnastics where you're having to say one thing and and reality is another thing. God God never asked us to do that. You see, if Jesus is in operation through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, then then just let me tell you, you don't have to go around saying something's untrue. You may be that way, but you know that God's power is greater than what you're walking through for the moment. So in Psalms 143, David, this man who initiated the concept of praise, he is explaining something to us. Now, I want you to just walk through this. As I said, I'm not going to try to preach a homiletical sermon tonight that, you know, point one point. I'm just going to walk through this and then I'm going to share something with you. I want you to look at how the enemy's pressing him. Look at how the enemy has now got him in his clutches. He says, The enemy hath persecuted my soul. I mean, there's a tremendous spiritual, physical conflict that's going on inside of his life. The enemy is persecuting my soul. He hath smitten my life down to the ground. I mean, this man is in a spiritual war. He hath made me to dwell in darkness. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been where you said, where are you, Lord? Are you there? You felt like God was a million miles from you? I I, I know there's probably people in this building who's never walked in this kind of darkness. And, And I'm not necessarily referring to the normal Christian life. But I'm talking about learning to stand in that instance when all of hell breaks loose against you and... And Satan has has released from the incubator of hell every demonic power he can to bring you down. He's out to sever your juggler vein between you and God. And the whirlwind breaks loose all around you. And the devil is coming at you with no holds barred. He said, therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. How many times have I talked to people? And they've said, Pastor Loper, I'm just overwhelmed. There came a moment in my life, and I might share even more this week, because pastors are not transparent today for the most part. At a time when Gary Wood was taking in 200 members a quarter, every three months, our income had gone from 107000 to $2.5 million. I hit the wall going 100 miles an hour. There was a reason. I'd wrestle with a very dysfunctional childhood. I'd wrestle with the comments of a father who wanted to tell me just about every day, you're a zero with the rim knocked out. You'll never be nothing. You'll always be who you are, nothing. He was raised, you know, sometimes if you're raised in a dysfunctional family, and you're brutalized as a child. The very thing that you hate is what you will grow up to become if God doesn't heal you. How many of you have seen that? Have you ever seen an al- a child that would grew up in an alcoholic family and they despised anybody that was an alcoholic? And yet that's what they grew up to be. Why? Because they never allowed God to heal that in their heart and in their life. And my my father was, you know, he came up in that kind of environment. And... He was brutalized. So, therefore, he grew, and that's the only, that's the way it was role model for him. And that's the way he, 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 he just could be brutal with his word. And I wrestled with it. I, I thank God I married my wife. The only person that could have tolerated me back then was my wife. God looked beyond my faults and saw my needs and gave me my precious wife who understood me and understood the crisis that I was walking through. But you know, And all the growth, working 15 to 16 hours a day and and neglecting my family because my ministry was everything to me. It was like a sickness. Even if I came home and I I laid down because I was so exhausted I couldn't move and and somebody were to call and my children would say, well, he's laying down, he's resting. I would get up and grab my children and say, don't you ever tell them that I'm resting. I mean, I'm not supposed to rest, right? It, It became like a disease to me. Trying to hear my father say, I was wrong about you, John. You know, you were better off than I thought you were. And the hordes of hell, the demonic powers of hell, were psychologically destroying me. Destroying me. Because I wanted to hear my father say, let me tell you something. You better bless your child with your words. Can you stain their spirit forever? You certainly can. You better bless your child. You better better bless your sons. Don't you curse them. That can go from generation to generation to generation. Don't you do that. And in the midst of growth, expansion, I hit the wall. I walked in and I said, I want to resign tonight. Resign? Are you crazy? I said, I'm going to resign tonight. Tonight's my last night. I don't want to go to another funeral. I don't want to preach another sermon. I don't want to have another counseling session. I don't want to go to another tragedy. I don't want to make another ho- uh, hospital call. I, I don't want to preach another sermon. I am fried. I am totally fried. And as of tonight, nothing you can say will change my mind. I am right tonight, I'm resigning this church and I'm leaving. My board began to cry. They began to weep. They said, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? You're resigning. I said, I'm resigning tonight. Dear old brother Ellis, thank God for people who love their pastor. Let me tell you, there's not enough demons in hell to keep a church down that loves their pastor. If you want to know about the health of a church, just tell me how much you love your pastor. Got up, got up out of his chair and he weeping and crying along with all the other board members and he got up and he put his arms around me and he hugged me and he was weeping like a baby he said Pastor Loper you're not going to resign because we're not going to let you resign he said uh, we're going to change the way we do business here up until this moment you've been a cowpoke we're going to make you a rancher He said you've been mending every fence and branding every cow he said that's going to stop as of today we're going to surround you with people we eventually hired six more ministerial staff to help me in the growth of that church thank god for people like that i would like to tell you that god healed me i got up from that session walked away and i was healed i was not i kept crying i couldn't control my emotions i I had absolutely, as I said, I was spent emotionally, physically, you know, I was spent. I was out of it. The next day, I caught myself out in the middle of the pocket. In fact, I could take you to the six-foot circle where I fell down on my all-fours and was weeping like a little baby and asking myself, how in the world did I do this to myself? How did I do this to myself? And suddenly in that circle, as I said, I could take you to that expansive parking lot today and show you right where it all happened. Suddenly the Holy Spirit came and God, just as audibly as I'm speaking to you right now, spoke to my heart. And He said, you know, for a long time you've been trying to get your dad's approval. You've just about killed yourself in the ministry and, I, and your ministry's been blessed in what you've done. But deep in your heart, you were trying to hear your daddy say, I was so wrong about you. He said, let me tell you something. He said, John, I want you to know something. He said, this is not about performance. This is about relationship. And he said, you are not my servant. You are my son. And I love you for the way you are right now. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit put his arms around my heart and around my life. And I got up from there and healing came. I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know what ugly thing has been said to you. I will tell you one thing. The devil will walk around the picket fence of your life. He'll see whatever missing rail is in your life. And he will attack you. And he will come at you. He will cause a whirlwind to come into your life. I've been overwhelmed. I've been to the place where David said, And my heart was desolate. In other words, his emotions were devastated. He, he didn't even feel And Have you ever said hallelujah and it kind of dribbled off your chin and fell to the floor? Have you ever picked up your Bible to try to read it and it read like the Birmingham News? Uh, understand, I'm not talking about the normal Christian life. But I'm talking about when the enemy comes at you in a hurricane. He comes at you in a whirlwind. And God has chosen to use those circumstances to, to make you strong and to equip you and teach you how to stand when you come into that kind of battle. So after you've done all that you could do, you've prayed, you've praised, you've read, you've, prof- you've been prophesied to, you've listened to at least 400 tapes, and the elders have laid their hands on you and prayed. I'm telling you, sometimes after all that's happened, you have to learn how to stand. And I've found out there comes times when no one else can help you. No one else can even understand you. You're on your own personal Jericho road. It's just Jesus and you. And you feel like you're standing all by yourself. And I'm so glad that the Scripture doesn't whitewash over these situations. I mean, we're told about the Apostle Paul who who got so in despair that he despaired of life itself. He was so pressed out of measure. He despaired of life itself. I think of Moses when he struck the rock in anger. I think of so many other people, you know, Elijah and other people who said, Lord, just let me die. You, you can get there. Just get in the ministry. You can get there. And, and what you have to understand, what, what do I do when I come to that moment when that Urocladon, that that hurricane is pressing in around me? What do I do? Uh and the answers are found in Psalms 143. It tells you how you should respond to keep from sinking right out of sight when the enemy comes to you in that whirlwind. The first thing I want to say to you that I read in this text is David said, I remembered. Woo. Do you know something? I have found out that when you're under pressure from the enemy, it's so easy to forget everything that God has done for you. You see, I have to remember what God has done for me. I have to remember when we walked into Dr. Denson's office and, and he came out and his face was ashen and white. And my daughter was getting ready to go to Evangel College. And he said, your daughter's in trouble. I said, my daughter's in trouble? What are you talking about? He said, well, normal protein spillage is, is somewhere around 150. I'm, I'm a novice. I'm not a doctor. I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know anything about the kidneys. He said, yeah, protein spillage is around 150. He said, I just checked your, your daughter's urine. He said, I, I don't know how to share this with you. He said, but her protein spillage is, at this moment is 6,500. I said, tell me what you're talking about. He said, the only way I can explain it is your daughter right now is in the midst of kidney failure. Kidney film. We. She's going to Evangel College tomorrow. And, and we went through three biopsies. Every biopsy that came back, my daughter's, the nymphrons in her kidneys, Dr. Jerry Jackson, one of the greatest nephrologists in the whole southeast right there in Birmingham, did three biopsies. Every biopsy came back and said, your daughter's nymphrons, that, that little filtering system in her kidneys, so miraculously and wonderfully made, they are absolutely dev- devastated. Your your daughter has a nephritis and, and and lupus and it's it's caused and it has destroyed the nephrons in her in her kidneys and and it's gone. You can't ever repair them. They're gone forever. She's gonna have to have a kidney transplant. Two or three days we walked around and talked like an atheists. But I want to tell you something. God took us to Isaiah 43. It says, when you walk through the flood. It won't overflood you. When you walk through the fire, it won't be kindled against thee. God said, I just want to remind you, I I ran some nations for you. And I'll tell you what, we begin to believe God. And as I walked down to his office that day, and we were getting ready to find out which child of ours was going to have to give a a kidney to my daughter. And we walked down there, and I said, oh God, just give me a cloud about the size of a man's hand. Just give me a word about about the size of a man. That's all I asked for, God. And he said, well, he sat down and Dr. Jackson said, you know, we did this biopsy and that's the most definitive kind of diagnosis you can have. Her, her kidneys are absolutely destroyed. They're gone forever. He said, but I, I began to look. And he said, there was a certain auto, I, don't, I can't say the medical term, but there's a certain autoatomic agent that is in the blood of every lupus patient. And said, for some reason I did not see that in Julie's blood. And when he said that, I almost jumped across the death and kissed him in the mouth almost. I mean, he he thought I was, he thought I'd gone crazy. I began to shout. But that's when God gave me a word that let me tell you something. I'm gonna heal your daughter. And God did heal my daughter. God healed my daughter. She runs in marathons all across the southeast. She gave me my first two grand. They said if she ever tries to have a grandchild, you're going to end up with a live grandbaby and a dead daughter. I want to tell you, she gave, my, gave me my, and let me tell you, the kidney function in her body, her BUN, her creatinine, all those other terms, she is as well as any normal human being you can imagine. Why? Because God came and touched her and healed her. And so when the enemy comes in like a flood and begins to say all kind of horrible, and the whirlwind is blowing I remember. I remember. I remember when we had launched in a building program. I was having to raise $150,000 a Sunday. (laughs) I did it for a long time. Over 10 times I did that. I remember when I would walk out and the devil would say, you won't do it this morning. You don't have the right people here. You can't do it. This is the wrong side of the tracks for you to do it. It won't happen this morning. But God gave it to us anyway. I remember when, when a friend of mine I hadn't seen in 30 years, he was a football coach. And he had thrown a ball, bottle against the wall and, and cut a boy's leg because they had lost their first game. He, he, he was a Nazarene. And, and one of the boy's fathers came to me and said, he's in trouble, he's going to be fired tomorrow by the principal. And God said, go to his home right now, he's in trouble. His family, and I went and ministered to him. 35 years later, I'm in a building program. I'm desperately needing money. He calls me on the phone and says, Pastor Loper, I, 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 I'm going to be sending you something through the mail. I said, yeah, I'd probably send me 50 bucks, 500 dollars. Need a little bit more than that right now the first check I got was 50,000 a few days later he sent me another check 150,000 I called him up and I said where in the world is this coming from he said those three boys of mine that were in the home when you came and ministered that day said you don't know how that touched their life said my three boys think you're the fourth member of the Trinity said they absolutely adore you You don't know what it meant because you came in a moment of need. And and he said, uh, just hold on. He, He sent me another hundred thousand. And 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 one day he called me, and said, I want you to meet me in Montgomery. I want you to meet me at Shoney's. That was the most wonderful breakfast I've ever had in my life. We're having breakfast and he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out an envelope. And he said, my boys want to give this to you. This is yours. Personally, you can do anything you want to do with this. This is yours. He flipped out a check. $300,000 gave me on the spot. $300,000. And God said to me, if you touch one penny of it, one penny of it, I will stop the flow. And God, I didn't. I gave every bit of it to Gary Wood Assembly of God. I want to tell you something. I have had miracles in my life that are unbelievable. God said in the whirlwind, you just the first thing you've got to do is you got to be able to remember. Got to remember what God has brought you through. Can you remember that specific prophecy that was given to you? Can you remember the time you were worshiping the Lord and the glory came down so powerfully you could hardly contain yourself? Can you remember that time that you were so grieved and bereaved in your heart and suddenly the Holy Spirit came as the bomb of Gilead to your wounded spirit? Let me tell you, you can't listen to the devil. He'll he'll push you right out of sight. He'll say, well, you never loved the Lord anyway. If there ever was a mess in this world, you're in it right now. But you have to battle the attacker. And the way you battle the attacker is you have to remember Remember when that prophetic word came. Remember when that financial miracle came. And the moment you start remembering, the devil has to flee. You got to be able to remember. And the next thing David said is, I meditate upon thy works. I want us to look at that. I want you to think about the way God does things. Do you know that God doesn't do things like we do things. We, we sometimes say, God, have your way, and then we get mad when he doesn't do it the way we think he should. God said, I just want you to think about my works. I, I've had to do that sometimes. God, I don't understand what is going on here, but I know that you, you're God. And, and I know that your ways are not my ways. And I understand that the enemy's trying to press me out of shape and, and trying to cause me to accuse you of unrighteousness. But the Bible says, shall the righteous judge do right? He shall always do right. And even though I don't understand, Lord, I worship you. Now, you've got to try that on for size when you're in that whirlwind and the enemy's pressing you out of measure. It, 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 it'll become a foundation that's so strong, the enemy will not be able to move you from it. And the next thing he says, I muse on the work of thy hands. One evening I went out in the backyard and I, I looked up in the sky and all those billions of stars. And I said, God, if you put all those stars in the skies, then I know you can help me. I know you can help me. You've got to see him as the creator. You've got to see him as the great God that he is. I heard about an atheist student that had a, a Christian professor. And so he went to his Christian professor and he said, I don't believe in God. I've never believed in God. And the professor said, if you want to get a vision of God, just go out in your backyard tonight. And this is what I want you to say. God, if there is a God, I want to know you. And that night, the young man tried it. He came back the next day and the professor said how did you make out he said i felt like an absolute fool and the professor said well, that's a good revelation to start with that's where you start because compared to the wisdom of god that's what you've felt let me tell you something you have to understand god you have to understand his ways You have to to muse at the work of his hands. When I was in Southeastern University, I I, I was in in the room with a young man by the name of Bill Foy. His parents owned several Ford dealerships in Pennsylvania. Here I am, the middle child of 11 children, come out of poverty, and I'm at Southeastern Bible College, and I'm having to bag groceries and mop commodes at Shelton's Trailer Park just to make my tuition. And I cried out, and I said, Oh, Lord, the Bible says you own the cattle of a thousand hills. If you just sell one of those cows, you could help me pay my college bill this month. And you know what? God sold one of his cows. I'm just telling you. Do you know the Bible says there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground without God knowing it. I believe he saw today when I combed my hair the eight strands of hair that fell out of uh, of my head. So the Bible says what you've got to do, you've got to start with remembering, meditate, and musing. Those are the things that stop the downward sparrow of God. And I want to I hold right here because I want to get down on the, on the floor level. And I, I want to tell you about how I got in a whirlwind one time. I've already told you I was the middle child of 11 children. I went to Southeastern Bible College. I went down to visit my brother. He ended up a student. And uh, when I went there, Southeastern just kind of like swept me up. I represented them at all the General Councils of the Assemblies of God. I traveled with the Southeasterners promotional group. I was the leader of that group. We were the guest of General York at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. We traveled to all the high schools, the colleges, trying to recruit students for Southeastern and just met a lot of people. During that time, I'd also met my wife. Her father was the pastor of Calvary Assembly in Orlando, if you know anything about Orlando. You know, you got Disney World, Sea World, and when you come past Calvary Assembly, you got Church World. I'm talking about Italian marble and escalators that take you to the balcony. It is quite a church. Her dad had pastored there. It's one of the greatest churches in America today. It's an incredible church, Calvary Assembly. That's where we were married. And, and I'll never forget the first day I saw her. And my, I fell in love with her, and good Lord, my heart just pounded and, and fell in love with her. and never thought she would give me the time of day. I wanted her to be impressed with me, so when I walked on the campus a little bit and I would see her coming, I would would strut a little bit. I wanted her heart to pound when she saw me. And believe it or not, she fell in love with me, and I fell in love with her, and I married her, and we moved into a little, what, 20 by 8 trailer, all these pastors all across the country and said, Oh, John, when you graduate, I want you to come be my associate. I mean, I knew hundreds and hundreds of pastors across the South. Oh, I just want you to come be my associate. Not one of them called me. We went to North Carolina, tried out for a church, didn't get it. I said, "Sure, and i got to do something. I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm, I'm graduating. I had seen so many students at Southeastern that said, The call of God is on my life. I'm going to, I'm going to India. I'm going to Africa. I'm going here. And, and they graduated, and they settled right in Lakeland. They never got out of Jerusalem. In fact, the Bartow County School System down there right now, they have thousands and thousands of southeastern students that never got out of Jerusalem. I said, that's not going to happen to me. I went down, they told me, they said, well, you know, you, you if you'll just make up a, a couple of credits, you can be teaching in our system next year. I came back from that session. I fell across the bed weeping like a baby, and I said, Sharon, I know God has called me into the ministry. I'm going to go someplace where I believe and know... That people believe in me that the call of God's on my life. And so like Abraham of old, we packed up everything we had. With a little Ford Fairlane. With a little 5 by 7 trailer on the back. And like Abraham of old, we left Lakeland. We went out like Abraham. We didn't know where we was going, but we was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. And we just started driving north. Now, when you don't know where you're going, it's always good to end up at mama's house. (laughs) And we ended up at mama's house. I know this is different, but i got to share this with you. Because this is what happened to me. I ended up at mama's house. And I'm there. And suddenly a superintendent in a district that I won't name, this was many years ago, he called me and he said, John, I hear you're looking for a church. I said, I sure am. I've been looking for a while. He said, man, if I got an opportunity for you. I was real stupid back in those days. I didn't know the difference between an opportunity and a church. <laughs> and I'll never forget the night in one of the smallest communities that you can imagine. Sharon and I drove up in front of a little red frame building. A red clay frame. I, I can see it in my mind right now. It's just as vivid as it ever, ever was right now. And, and it was built with scissor rafters. And the scissor rafters were built incorrectly. And they were collapsing in the middle. And it was pushing the brick walls out. So what they did, they took a big steel plate on the outside, put a turnbuckle in the middle, and they pulled the thing back together so the building wouldn't collapse in on itself. It, it didn't even have a church floor. Didn't have a church floor. And we went in that night, and there were 17 people in there, only two of them literate. Two, two, only literate. And that night I preached. I preached my heart out. And when I got done, my little wife grabbed me and she took me to the back of that church and she said, John, you are not gonna take this church. I said, Let me tell you something. I said, I said, let me tell you something, Sharon. Let me tell you something. This could be the first group of people that ever feels like the call of God is on my life. And if they elect me, they just got themselves a pastor. (laughs) Now, the devil is always in the details. There's a few things I didn't know. First of all, they had had 14 pastors in four years. That is what you call a meat grinder. Another thing I didn't know was the salary was 4 dollars 5 a week. Now, that's not 450 That's not $40.50. That was $4.50. And they took us to where they wanted us to live. And I'm telling you, you could see the chickens out of the house. I'm not exaggerating. It was that bad. It was that bad. And Sharon said, I'll tell you one thing. I am not living here. And I, I said I agree with you, and we won't live here, and we'll we'll get us another little home, which we did. We we tried to find we couldn't live on four and a half dollars a week, so we tried to find a job, and and we went down to a blanket factory where they 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 stamp out metal brackets to make electric blankets, and when they looked at our resume, I mean my wife had worked for Fishback, Davis and Doman and Troutman, a big law firm, and and here we are, you know. Working at a blanket factory in the middle of nowhere. And and they looked at my resume and they said, You know, they've had so many pastors down there. Said, You guys aren't going to be here long. Said, And you're much too overqualified for what's happening here. Said, uh, The only only position that we would let you have is the midnight shift making minimum wage, and you have to do piecework beside. And here we are. Here we are. My wife, with her background. And we're working on two different, big, gigantic, five-ton presses where you would put a metal bracket right here on dilapidated equipment. You'd put a metal bracket right here, and they'd strap your hands in with straps, these nylon straps. You'd put a bracket here. You'd hit a lever down here. And just before that five-ton press cut all of your fingers off, that strap would jerk your hands back. And you had to do that all night long. All night long. <laughs> I would go home and get home the next morning. We'd fall in bed just exhausted. It was horrible. I'll never forget the wealthiest Assembly of God preacher in the country. Pulled up in front of my little house. you got to understand, we finally ended up in a little duplex apartment. That had a living room a dining room a kitchen and then had a bedroom that came down like this two feet off the floor and the only way you could crawl in bed is to get down on your knees and crawl in bed now we didn't have any furniture but I'm telling you, we were married at Calvary Assembly we had a lot of electric blankets <laughs> we had at least 40 or 50 coffee pots we, we had everything but we didn't have any furniture and so we, we were sleeping. We were newly wed. It didn't matter. We were sleeping on the blankets on the floor, eating off the kitchen counter, didn't have a, any place to sit down or anything. But that's where we were living. And we lived that way for one year. One year is pretty bad. <laughs> we put a floor in the church. I think it made some of them mad. My brother-in-law owed me about $1,000. said, if you'll come and help me put a floor in this church... You don't owe me anything. And we put a floor in the church. And then it all came to an end. And the way it came to an end, I'll tell you how. I asked the only man in my church. His name was Brother Thompson. He looked like string bean. I'm not making fun of him. It's just a fact. This is all true story. He looked like string bean. Didn't have a tooth in his head. And uh, plucked chickens for a living. And I asked him to pray. I said, Brother Thompson, will you pray this morning? And I'll never forget that prayer as long as I live. Because he was praying and he closed out that prayer and he said, Oh Lord! He'd pop his lips when he'd talk. He said, bless Brother and Sister Loper as they labor here in vain. He didn't even know what he had said. (laughs) But I knew what he said. And God spoke to my heart. And I said, you know what? I'm out of here. In fact, not only am I out of here, but I'm out of the ministry. I mean, I I won every honor that Southeastern had to offer. I was student government president, you know, head of my class, I want every scholarship that they offer, and here I am pastoring 17 people, and I can't even pastor them, and only two of them literate. And I am laboring here in vain. In, in fact, I, I, I am leaving here. I'll never forget the night we left. It was the most horrible experience of my life. And ble- please know, the ministry's not easy, but thank God there's not many churches like this left, okay? But anyway, the night we left was quite a night. I brought an interim pastor because I didn't want him to be left without a pastor. I said, I've brought you a pastor. This lady stood up in the back and she said, I want to tell you something. We had a meeting in my house last night. And she said, We don't need you to get us a pastor. We'll get our own pastor. Said, Thank you. And I said, uh, He didn't want to become the pastor of church. I said, He just wanted to fill into you. I didn't want you to leave you without a pastor. And suddenly the only Christian in the church, she stood up in the back. She said, what about the monies that the lopers gave us, over $1,000 to put this floor in the church? Are we going to try to pay them back that money? She stood up again, this lady, and she said, at the meeting at my house last night, she said, we determined we don't owe the, the lopers one red copper penny. I had to do the most humiliating thing I've ever done in my life. I said, can you give me... $50 to get out of town and they gave me $50 and the night I got in that little Ford car and drove away from there was one of the lowest moments in my life we were both weeping like little children like little babies uncontrollably weeping you know I thought I was going to be the next Billy Graham of America and here I I can't even pastor 17 people we drove back to that little duplex apartment. We'd slept on the floor and ate off the kitchen counter for over a year. Nobody called. Nobody said, are you keeping body and soul together? Are you surviving? We were just there. Just dropped us off and left us. We were just there. Thank God that don't happen anymore. Went back that night and called my brother, Jerry. Jerry. My brother, God has blessed his life. When I get around him, I develop the loser's limp. He's a multi-multi-millionaire today. Uh, when I get around him, I got the loser. I have to drag my left leg because he's been so successful in life. And it and, uh, kind of blows me away. But I called him. I said, Jerry, you know, he wasn't successful then. He was just out of labor. And I said, Jerry, you know, one day I told you, you and I were going to go in business together. I'm coming back to Mobile, Alabama, and we're going to start a business. And and And... I just want you to know I'll be home tomorrow. I want to talk to you about a business adventure you and I could go into. And then I did the most humiliating thing I've ever done in my life. I called Sharon's dad. I mean, Mr. Success in the ministry. He was the pastor of the Assemblies of God. And I called him. I said, Brother Zink, I know I married your daughter on the pretense of being a pastor. I said, I'm not a pastor. I know all the years that I went to Southeastern, all that was accomplished there. I just feel like that was all wasted. You see, I was in a whirlwind. Can you see the whirlwind I was in? I was in a whirlwind. I was being swept away by the moment. I said, I married your daughter on the pretense of being a preacher and a pastor. I said, you know, some were sent and some just went. Evidently, I just went. I am not called into the ministry, and I'm leaving the ministry forever. I'm not just leaving this church. I'm leaving the ministry forever. We got on our knees and crawled in that little Makeshift bed with all those electric blankets. Got down there and I laid there that night on the floor, looking at the ceiling right there. And I said, "I'll never do this to my my wife again as long as I live. I'll never humiliate her like this again, ever as long as I live." I got up the next morning. We'd packed that little seven by eight trailer and uh, had it packed. Had that little Fairlane Ford car pointed toward mobile alabama god is such a marvelous god in a little five minute pendulum of time my life was changed forever we were getting ready to drive to the to the telephone company to tell them disconnect the phone we're out of here and if i had ever pointed that vehicle toward mobile you would not even hear me speaking to you tonight but suddenly in that little five-minute pendulum of time, the telephone rings. And somebody says, is this John Loper? And I said, yes, it is. He said, well, you don't know me, and I don't know you. He said, but my name is Pastor Gene Hogan, 1,300 miles away, Grand Rapids, Michigan. I don't know you, and you don't know me. His, his brother was Philip Hogan, Secretary Church. Secretary of the Foreign Missions to call the Father of Missions for the Assemblies of God. Philip Hogan. It's his brother, Gene Hogan. He said, you don't know me and I don't know you. He said, but my wife and I this morning were having breakfast around the table. And he said, suddenly the Holy Spirit interrupted our devotion together. And said there was a message in tongues and an interpretation. And and said there there was the message that that there was a young man in the South that was discouraged, and he's leaving the ministry, and he doesn't know it, but God one day is going to use him in a way that he never dreamed of. And he said, God spoke to my heart and told me to call you and ask you to come be my associate pastor. One of the large, I just preached the dedication of their new seven thousand seat sanctuary. I said, "Say what." <laughs> He said, God spoke to me. God gave me your name. He said, it came through the move of the Holy Spirit around our devotional table. He said, I'm asking you to come be my associate pastor. And suddenly, something in me stood up again. (laughs) Sometimes you have to stand, don't you? When the whirlwind is sweeping you away and you're about to change your life forever, sometimes you have to stand. And something rose up in me and the call of God became real to me again. And I said, Sharon, we're not going to Mobile. We're going to Grand Rapids. I mean, I came from Mobile, Alabama. We criticize people living on the north side of town. Anybody living above Montgomery, he's a Yankee. I didn't know how I was going to handle those Yankees. I mean, I've never been above the Dixie Mason line. How is this all going to happen? And we drove all the way to Kentucky, Lisbethtown, Kentucky. And I turned to Sharon again. The whirlwind began to sweep, and I said, this is the worst thing I've ever done. This is stupid. I'm not going up there. I don't know how I'm going to handle that bunch of Yankees. They, they're not going to like me. I said, I'm going to call him and tell him I'm not coming. She said in just a few month, minutes, she heard me on the phone. Brother Hogan, if you'll just bear with us, we'll be there at 12 o'clock tonight. <laughs> I'll never forget the night we drove up. You'll have to pardon me. See, you got to remember. <laughs> I'll never forget the night we drove up, the little garage apartment had A sign over the door, welcome Lopers. I turned to share and I said, Woo, that's different. <laughs> <laughs> and we went up those stairs, and here was this little dollhouse almost just decorated in early American furniture, and it was perfect. And it had a sign on the wall, welcome Lopers you're here in the will of God. (laughs) And we went into the kitchen and we opened all the cupboards and they were stuffed with canned goods. We opened the refrigerator and you couldn't have got any other cold cut in there. I mean, it was stuffed with food. We pulled down the oven and it had a warm meal. A warm meal in the oven. We went into the bedroom. And the covers were turned back. <laughs> and they had a sign over the door. God is going to use you in this church. And I grabbed my little wife. I squeezed all the air out of like little babies. And God said to me, you thought I forgot about you, didn't you? You thought I didn't know where you were at or what you was going through. He said, let me remind you, I've got your name tattooed on the palm of my hand. He said everywhere, everywhere I look on the corners of heaven, your name is forever before me that night, God spoke to my heart. <laughs> God spoke to my heart. And God said, Brother Albert, said, because you chose me in the midst of a whirlwind, in one of the darkest moments of your life, you chose that you would, you would not leave, you would not run, but rather you would stand. God said, because you chose me, I'm choosing you. And from now on, everything that your hand touches, I'm going to bless it. I want to tell you, you're looking at a blessed man tonight. I am blessed. I want everybody to stand. I've been way too long tonight. I want you to come to this altar. I want the musicians to come. I want you to come and stand to this altar right now. Very quickly. Don't leave. Don't go to the door. Come to this altar right now. How many of you know that the devil can put you in a whirlwind? He can cause you to throw up your hands and say, if this is all you've got to offer me, I'm out of here. I'm gone. But you've got to remember, you've got to muse. You've got to meditate. You've got to say, God, I don't understand what you're doing, but your ways are above my ways. Let me tell you something I want you to listen to me listen to the young person if God can speak to a man 1300 miles away and give him my name and tell him the situation that I'm in that I want you to know God knows where you're at tonight I want you to move in a little closer Move in closer Before this revival's over, you're going to see why I have a reason to believe in God, to see His power, to see His miraculous works. I'm telling you, God will bring you through anything if you can just stand the pull. He'll pull you through anything. You got to just, you just got to hold to His unchanging hand. Hold to His unchanging hand. God's going to make a way for you. He'll make a way for you. I want you to lift your hands high right now. Are you in a whirlwind tonight? Your emotions are tattered? You're devastated? I'm telling you something. God will make a way for you. He will make a way for you. Oh God. Oh God. You know our need tonight. You know our need tonight. I want you to cry out. Would you cry out to God tonight with a loud voice? Cry out to God.